Welcome to episode number 171. We're going to be talking about unique heirloom vegetables to grow in your home garden. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I am the author of the Made from Scratch Life and Handmade, the host of this, the Pioneering Today podcast, as well as the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy. Pioneering Today is where we embrace homegrown and a handmade life, where we share easy steps to take your food from seed to table to jar for homegrown eating year-round. Now, today's episode is going to be the seed part, literally the seed part. Now, if you have listened to the Pioneering Today podcast or hung out with me for any amount of time, very high likelihood that you have heard me talk about heirloom vegetables and fruits and why heirloom seeds are one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. In fact, one of the very first episodes of the podcast, episode number three to be exact, was intro to heirloom seeds and talking in depth about heirloom seeds and the differences between heirloom, hybrid, open pollinated, what all of those terms mean. So I won't go into great detail within this episode because we have covered that, but I will give you a quick recap just in case you're not familiar or you haven't listened to those episodes yet. But for today's episode and to get any of our back episodes, you can find all of those at the website, which is melissaknorris.com. You can click on the podcast button. Every single podcast is listed for you in numerical order. And then if you want to hit the show notes or the blog post that accompanies this specific episode, so you can get links to all of these awesome and amazing heirloom vegetables that we're going to be talking about, as well as some of the other resources that I will be going over, that can be found at melissaknorris.com forward slash 171, because this is episode number 171. Now, the fun thing about this episode is not only am I sharing some of my favorite heirloom vegetable varieties to try, but I'm also sharing some of Anna's. So Anna was on the podcast and Anna came to homesteading a few years back and has totally embraced it and grown so much from being an apartment homesteader and they are now transitioning to their own place and full-on homesteading. So Anna has had a really, really cool journey from that. And it's so exciting to be a part of that and to get to watch everything that she's doing. Anna also does some guest posting. So she writes articles and she also helps me with the podcast because the podcast, I love it. Podcasting and podcasts are my jam. Now, I know if you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, me too. Sister, I don't know how I ever got along without podcasts because I rarely listen to the radio. I rarely watch TV, but whenever I have to drive or I am cleaning house or doing homestead farm chores, I am most likely either listening to a podcast or an audiobook. But even though I love podcasts, they take quite a bit of time. So Anna has been helping me so that I can continue to make sure and get you guys new updated episodes almost every single week along with everything else. So kind of a shout out to Anna there and also letting you know that these are some of her favorites as well. And if you want to listen to Anna's episode specifically where she was on the podcast, 
That's episode number 131, which is Homesteading for Beginners, Nine Transition Tips from City Life. Okay, let's get back to the episode at hand. Heirloom seeds or vegetables are often called heirloom, right? Big surprise there. But you'll also see sometimes the term heritage and or open pollinated. Open pollinated are plants that are pollinated in the garden or the field naturally. Now, this doesn't mean that they are self-pollinating or cross-pollination because that is the type of plant. For example, your legumes, beans, and peas, and tomatoes are self-pollinating. So with inside the blossom, they have the male and the female part is in that blossom so that it's able to self-pollinate itself all within the blossom on the plant. You're cross-pollinating, so your squash, most of your fruits, though not all, cross-pollinate. So they need pollen from a different variety of apple, and that is done by the wind and usually your honeybees, mason bees, insects that carry the pollen and everything gets cross-pollinated. So whether or not a plant is self-pollinating or cross-pollinating, when it comes to open pollinating, what that means is the seed is going to breed true. So when you seed save it from a zucchini, now provided that it has not cross-pollinated with other squash, but that it is going to be the same variety and it will produce the same type of seed plant after plant that's similar to its parent. Now, when we come into where we're talking about cross-pollination and seed saving, different seeds within the same family, if they're cross-pollinating varieties, they will cross-pollinate. So when you're seed saving, if it's something that's not a self-pollinating plant, you want to make sure that it's not cross-pollinated with a different variety, but within the same family. Otherwise, when you go to plant that seed that you have saved the next year, it's going to grow and it's going to have characteristics from whatever it cross-pollinated with. So sometimes that's great. And some of the varieties that we have now that are even considered heirloom varieties because they have cross-pollinated and the best traits from both types of the tomato, for example, created a better tomato. Maybe it was better yield, better flavor, um, more disease resistance, whatever. It still can be an heirloom vegetable in that case. And that's when you get start to get really technical and you start to looking at F1 and F2 and looking at the different parents and you really can get into the DNA of it, of plant families and plant history. But to try to keep things simple, because it's really not that complicated, but it can become a lot of steps to understanding. Open pollinated and heirloom are generally the same thing. And that means that if you save the seed and plant it the following year, that you will get a plant that is very similar to what you saved it from. It's going to be the same as its parent provided that it didn't cross-pollinate with another variety when it comes to your cross-pollinating plants. I think that's about as simple as I'm going to be able to break that down. Hybrid vegetables. Hybrid vegetables are not GMOs, and there can oftentimes be a little bit of confusion there. So a hybrid vegetable, when we are talking about hybrid vegetables where you go and purchase seeds in the store in a seed packet, because hybridization can happen naturally with heirloom vegetables, which I was talking about just a few minutes ago. But hybrid vegetables that have been done in 
the stores for commercial seeds is different. So a hybrid vegetable is where in a lab, you have taken two types of tomato plants, for example, and one of the tomato plants maybe is more disease resistant, whereas the other tomato plant produces tomatoes that are very uniform in shape and have really bright red color. So they have taken from two tomato plants, so same plant, right, but two different varieties, and have crossed those together to create a hybrid tomato plant that has the best characteristics or whatever they consider to be the best characteristics in that plant. This happened on pretty much like a commercial agricultural scale back in about the 1940s. The downside of this is, one, if you try to save from these, sometimes they don't germinate and they don't grow. If they germinate and if they grow, then the problem is, is they revert back to one of the parent plants. So that means you think you're seed saving from this tomato and that with the seeds that you save from this hybrid tomato, when you plant them the next year, that they're going to grow the same type of tomato that you saved them from. But that's not the case. They'll revert back to the other parent. And oftentimes when they revert back, it's not in a way that is appetizing or that we like. I've shared this story multiple times, but I will share it again here just because it's such a good example. Before I truly understood all of the ins and outs of seed saving back when we were first married, I'm talking, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my age here. I'm talking close to 20 years ago, y'all. We had zucchini. Now, I've always raised heirloom bean plants, my family's own strain of them, which we'll talk about a little bit more because I can't not talk about them when we're talking about unique heirloom vegetables. But we had hybrid zucchini plant from the store. And I'd have a couple zucchini that I hadn't harvested. They'd gotten caught in the frost, left them out in the garden, and they broke down. And then in the springtime, we planted our garden. And where I had not planted zucchini that year, we had some volunteer zucchini pop up. And they produced, flowered and produced zucchini before the ones I had planted. So they were seeds that had saved from those ones I didn't get and they had regrown. I was really excited. They were beautiful zucchini and they came on, like I said, the first. So they were the first that we got to harvest that year, took them in, cooked them up and they were hideous. They looked fine. They grew fine. The taste was extremely bitter. So they had reverted back to a parent plant and they were unedible. The livestock didn't want to eat them. I couldn't put them in a casserole. You couldn't put them in like zucchini cake and try to kind of mask the bitterness. It, I mean, it was that bitter and that strong. So that's an example of why if you try to plant and seed save from hybrid seeds, most of the time it's not a good outcome. But there's nothing really inherently wrong with hybrid seeds if you've been growing and planting them. It's just you are stuck with the store and relying on the store to buy your seed from year after year after year. And you don't get the flavor and all of the different really fun, cool varieties you get with heirloom. So we'll talk about that more in a minute. Now, just real quick reference, we got to talk about how what a GMO seed is in comparison to hybrid and heirloom vegetables. Now, it's true, you cannot go to the store and actually purchase GMO seed. So when you have big farms that are purchasing genetically modified seeds, they're actually going and purchasing it because they're patented. GMO seeds are patented. And they have to go through and have the paperwork and everything to purchase the GMO seeds. So that is true. But there is a but. 
Because the majority of our GMO crops in the United States are soy is one of them, and the other one is corn. And corn has a very large cross-pollination window. So if the conditions are right, meaning the wind is right, the insects are right, the land is flat, corn can cross-pollinate over miles. And so within the United States, it's very hard right now to find corn seed that has not cross-pollinated and doesn't have traces of GMO in it. So even though you're not purchasing technically GMO corn seed, if you're purchasing hybrid seed, there is a good chance that it could be cross-contaminated and that it does contain some GMO properties to it because it's cross-pollinated with other GMO crops with corn. Now there's apple on the market that's supposed to be GMO, but not as far as purchasing GMO stock as far as the home gardener. Some squash, so zucchini and summer squash is genetically modified. So there could be a chance of purchasing hybrid seeds of that that could be cross-contaminated with GMO, even though it's not technically a GMO seed that you're buying. But if it says open pollinated and heirloom and organic, though organic does not mean heirloom, (laughs) but if it's certified organic, then it's not supposed to be GMO. They don't test quite as frequently with organic certification for GMO as they do for the pesticide loads and all of that. So I stick personally with an all heirloom seed garden. Okay, so let's talk about some fun different varieties. So like I said, some of these are Anna's and some of these are mine. One is a pink brandywine tomato. These are a really popular heirloom tomato variety. They have a pink color to them. And that's one of the really cool things, you guys, about heirloom vegetables you are going to see colors and shapes you ain't never seen on the regular grocery store shelf, and especially when it comes to tomatoes. So I did a black brandywine a couple years ago, and that one is really fun. And mine didn't get black, but they get like a chocolate streaking with this dark red. So they're pretty cool. Great flavor. So you'll even find that you'll find in with the brandy wines, like I said, there's black and there's also pink. So you'll find some different variances there. Really fun. They're also a really large tomato. So you're going to get a good sized tomato and they have been passed down through generations for well over a century. According to burpee seeds, they date them back to like the 1880s, 1885 to be exact. They've got great flavor and great size. But I will say The year that I did the black brandywine, they were great for a table eating tomato and we really enjoyed them. But when it comes to making tomato sauce and salsa, I still hold true to my San Marzano Lungo number two, which is an heirloom tomato, paste tomato from Italy. And I went back and the next year I did not grow as many of the black brandywine And I made sure that I had more of the San Marzano because I grow a whole year's worth of tomato products, of tomatoes for all of our tomato product needs, I should say, in our house. So all of my tomato sauce, all of my salsa, tomato paste that's then turned into pasta sauce, pizza sauce, you get it, chili, soups, all of that is all from our tomatoes. And so when I did the black brandy wine and the San Marzano Lungo number two, I did not grow enough of the San Marzano Lungo two and the black brandy wine did not take up an account for that. So we weren't really short, but I had to really meter out the tomato sauce that year. So just know that I think it's so much fun, though, and I highly encourage you to grow some different varieties and try them out. But if you are relying on certain crops, 
to take you through for a whole year and you know this many paste tomatoes or this many type of green beans produces this much for us, bring in some of those new varieties, but bring in a few and see how they perform for you, what you like of their flavor and how they work as far as their prolificness and their harvest to make sure that you still meet your yearly quota. Okay, sock and pumpkins. And this one is actually French and I'm not even going to try to pretend to pronounce it. So just plug your ears if you know French and you're like, oh girl, you are butchering it. Okay. A rouge vifte en tempes. Okay, I couldn't resist trying to sound French. That's just kind of fun. But let's be real. They're called Cinderella pumpkins, okay? <laughs> it's a French heirloom pumpkin and it dates back to the 1880s. And the saying is they were popular market pumpkins at Paris Central Market. These pumpkins get really large and they're also really pretty if you're going to use them for decor in the fall around your house. And I have not grown this particular Cinderella pumpkin, but Anna says they make a great eating pumpkin as well. They loved them in soups and they had a good storage for the winter, even at room temperature without a root cellar. She left one all the way on her counter into early spring last year and it was still edible and in good shape. So that is good to know. I personally love myself some sugar pie pumpkins because they are sweeter and the flesh is great for, of course, baking. Then we've got white scallop squash. This is a summer squash and it's an ancient heirloom vegetable originated in North America and was grown by Native Americans for hundreds of years before it was introduced to European explorers and settlers as far back as the 16th century. So this is an oldie. It's a white flower-shaped patty pan style summer squash, and it's really good sliced up, grilled, fried, or baked. And Anna likes it as an addition or alternative to zucchini in for so for in your summer squash. Okay, these ones are really fun. This is a lemon cucumber. They're small, round, yellow cucumbers, but they're tangy and citrusy, very similar to lemon, right? So that's why they have lemon cucumbers. But they're not a citrus. They're 100% summer squash, cucumber. They were introduced to America in 1894. But records have been found in the Middle East of these dating back to the 16th century. The cool thing about the lemon cucumbers, they are resistant to both drought and fungus and is a high yielding plant that will produce up until your first frost. So they're not cold hardy or frost tolerant, but they have a long harvest window. Okay, French breakfast radish. This is another one of Anna's. I think Anna likes things that are French. I'm just going to go out there and say that. French breakfast radishes, they're thought to be called that because they were often eaten as a mid-morning snack when they were really popular in the late 1800s. They're cylindrical with a red top and they fade out to white at the bottom and they have, you know, that kind of spicy kick that radishes are known for. So they're really great in salads. You can put them on tacos, sandwiches, or the traditional way with a little bit of butter and salt in the morning. And I'm going to tell you another secret. Radishes, especially for my friends who are doing low carb or keto, you can pop radishes into anything and have it like you would a potato. So if you put radishes in stew, your children and husband will not know the difference. They will think, I promise, I kid you not, that they're just eating potatoes. Score. And radish greens also make a great addition to using, as you would, any type of green or lettuce in salad or stir fries, and you can even pop them into soups. This is a fun one. 
This is Weathersfield red onions. So deep red or purple onions. These ones are flatter than a lot of the other red varieties, but they're great producers and they have really good cold storage capabilities. So not all onions store really well, but these ones store good. So you can put them in a cold storage at harvest time. These onions came from Weathersfield, Connecticut in the 1700s. And according to New England Historical Society, it used to be in Weathersfield that you could pay for just about anything with the famous flat red onions. Okay, that's really cool. And that's one of the things that I adore about heirloom vegetables is the story. You guys, the history that can come with these different varieties. You just don't get that from hybrid stuff created in a lab. Okay, up next, we have Paris market carrots or Parisian carrots. They're a small and round carrot. They're really easy to grow. They're good for container gardening because they are short and round. And they will also do well in heavy soils that have lots of clay. Sweetened flavor, great roasted, sliced, or added to salads. This is a 19th century French heirloom that is starting to make a comeback here in North America. Gourmet chefs and market gardeners who are kind of wanting some with old world charm have been adding these in. Now, one of my favorite heirloom carrots to grow is the Danver Half Longer. They are super prolific. They are big carrots, but even when they get big, they didn't turn woody, which as you know, if you've ever left carrots and been a little bit late on the harvest time and they get too large, oftentimes they turn woody in the center and just not that great a texture then it kind of ruins the flavor. Well, that didn't happen. I left mine. They were huge. I'm talking like two carrots was enough for a whole thing of soup and would almost like a quart-sized jar canning-wise. I mean, these suckers just got huge. Now, if I harvest them in a timely manner, they were not that big. They were regular carrot size, but they had great flavor. They grew really, really well for us. And so that is the type of carrot I always make sure and have in our garden. Up next, this is a fun one. This is the glass gem corn. And you guys, if you've not seen pictures, you've probably seen pictures. If you've been on any type of social media, you probably have seen pictures of this, but it literally looks like it is a glass gemstone corn of cob. It is beautiful. And if you want to see pictures of some of these varieties I'm talking about, because I totally look at pictures of heirloom vegetables and love leafing through all of my seed catalogs just to look at them. I've got those for you at the show notes, the blog post that goes with this episode, so you can go and check them out. But the glass gem corn. This one was cultivated by Oklahoma farmer Carl White Eagle Barnes. He began growing older heirloom varieties of corn as a way of connecting with his Cherokee roots, With which I just got to throw a shout out out there. I am part Cherokee, so just letting you know. What's really neat about this, though, is he was able to revive ancient varieties that had all but disappeared when Native Americans were forced off their traditional land in the 1800s. So he developed this glass gem corn by carefully selecting and saving seeds from a number of varieties of colorful native corn until it evolved into this really gorgeous glass bead-like rainbow-colored corn. So it could be considered a newer heirloom variety because like I said, you can naturally breed together and create varieties that are still open pollinated, but it's been just from selective breeding and seed saving practices. And that is what we have done with what I'm coming up next with is my family's heirloom green Tar Heel pole bean. My family's been saving our strain for over 100 years. My dad 
and my grandparents moved out here when my dad was just a child in the early 1940s to Washington State, where I live and my homestead is, from Appalachia, North Carolina, and they brought their seed with them. It is a pole bean, very prolific green bean, and it can also be, if left to matured, a shelled bean, which is a white bean. The inside is a white bean. And with heirloom seeds, especially when you are seed saving, the really cool thing is you know as the gardener, which plants out in your garden are doing the best. So you may have 30 plants of something, but the ones that produce the harvest first, so you start to get a harvest from them the very first, they give you the harvest for the longest. They're the most healthiest. They're not having disease issues. They have the best flavor. We take note of that. Those are the ones that you seed save from. So over time, naturally, if you're seed saving, you will develop a strain of what you're seed saving from that does the best in your garden and that you and your family like the flavor of the best. That's just so amazing to me. Now, I get asked quite frequently about purchasing or where people can get the variety of our specific strain of Tar Heel green pole bean seed. And I don't sell it. I looked into it. One, we just don't have the space to produce it commercially. We just grow it And I always make sure that we have enough for our family and a little bit extra because I don't want to ever lose the strain that our family has. And to sell seed, there's a lot of laws that go in it and you have to send in and get lab certificates and just all this stuff for the state that I live in. And for the small extra amount that we would have, it's just not worth it for me. So I don't sell it. But if you are a member of the Pioneering Today Academy every spring, I give it away as a bonus to members who want it. Now, at the time of this recording and even when this airs, you can't even get into the academy. So we're not open for enrollment yet. But 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 we will be opening for enrollment in March. And I will also be doing the very popular online free masterclass, Raising a Year's Worth of Food. If you're on the wait list for the Academy, you will get information when it is open for enrollment and people can join. Can't do it right now. And I also will be holding that class. So make sure you're on my email list so that you can get information and make sure that you get a seat in that class. I only do it a couple of times a year. And I've always got people asking, when are you doing the class again? And who love it and have learned so much. So just know that's all coming up. So you want to make sure that you stay tuned and you're getting emails from me. Next up, variety-wise, we have got Forelentulus lettuce, (laughs) and I probably butchered it. It's a heirloom variety of romaine from Austria. The leaves are lime green, speckled with deep reds and burgundies, and its name is supposed to mean speckled like a trout in German. It's also sometimes referred to as flashy trout lettuce, but it's also very pretty. Now, I know I talk about our heirloom Tar Heel green pole beans, because that's what we call them as Tar Heel beans in our family. But I love this because Anna has been a member of the Academy, and so she got a packet of the seeds, and they do let me send them to Canada. I did check, and so I'm allowed to send them across the border in certain instances to certain countries, because I didn't know what she thought of them. And so Anna says that she got some last year, and they are superb flavor, and they are great candidate for canning. And are unmatched in flavor when eaten fresh. So that, of course, makes me feel like really, truly a proud mama. (laughs) And just to let you know that it's not just me who thinks they are absolutely fantastic. 
I want to know, though, you guys, like, we have not even scratched the surface when it comes to talking about all of the awesome, different, unique, really cool varieties of heirloom vegetables to try. So if you grow any cool heirloom varieties, one, I want to know what they are. And if you're trying any new varieties, because that's kind of my goal, I want I like to bring in one new variety every year just to make it fun and to try something new and not to overwhelm myself by trying too many things new to begin with. So I want to know. Let me know. You can go right to the blog post that goes with this, mostcanoris.com forward slash 171. Let me know if you write me a review so you can review this podcast if you're listening to it in an app and let me know right then and there. I would love to know if I am missing out on any awesome heirloom varieties. Okay, we are ready for our verse of the week. And this I'm actually sharing with you. I just, 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 just turned in the next round of edits to my publisher on my new book. Now, the new book is not coming out until January of 2020. I know, it's so far away. But if you're into gardening and growing your own food, you're going to love it. So I'm sharing with you one of my favorite verses and one of the verses that is in the book. It's a gardening book, but of course, we've got gardening verses that go with it. So I'm going to share that with you. This is from chapter three, and this is from the NIV translation of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse 29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And I just love that because with gardening, there's something about this time of year when you're getting to pick out the different crops and just getting ready to do everything. And it's like you've just got this hope and excitement and everything feels brand new again, and you're renewed with vigor to have fresh vegetables and to get back into gardening. And it never fails, even though I have been planting seeds pretty much every year of my life. Some of my earliest memories are toddling behind my parents, and they would dig the depth that was needed for the seed, and I would go behind them, and I would get to drop the seed down in the dirt. So every spring for me has always been filled with planting But every time I do, it just reminds me of the miracle. The garden is really a miracle of the way we take these seeds and how they grow and produce food for us to eat. And then they die back and go into dormancy until the time is right that they will flourish and grow and produce us with food all over again. So it is my hope that you get some seed bearing plants and hopefully there's some unique heirloom varieties in there to grow your food this year. And with that, I will leave you until next week. Bye for now.